0: 8, please. Luke 8. Continuing our study here through the book of Luke. And Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do verses 1 through 18 of Luke, chapter 8. And let's do the smart thing. Have a word of prayer. Father, it is good to be here this morning. Thank you for that time of worship. Thank you for that music drama just to remind our hearts, Lord, of you are the God of the resurrection. Just pray as always you would teach, we would listen, let your spirit guide and direct in all things. We lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, Luke 8, 1 through 18. Now, Luke 8 is the parable of the sower and the seed. Now. I've said before that if I could only teach one parable of Christ, it would be the parable of the sower and the seed. I think the parable of the sower and the seed has everything we need to know about the different groups of people that we run into in our walks with the Lord. Now, there are four groups of people mentioned in this parable of the sower and the seed. You fall into one of those four categories. You do. Now, as we go through this, hopefully you see the category you want to fall into. The truth is, we fall into one of these four categories right here in the parable of the sower and the seed. Many times, Rich and I will be talking about stuff out here at church, an individual's name will come up, and there'll be a concern about them, and we'll kind of look at each other and say, yeah, parable of the sower and the seed. You know, Jesus nailed this 2,000 years ago. This is exactly what we run into today, and it's so evident as we go through this. So with that being said, let's do a few verses here of introduction before we jump into the actual parable in verse 4. It says in verse 1 of Luke 8, Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, one of whom had comes seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chizah, Herod, Stewart, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. Now, verse 1 is the reason we're talking about things today. They're preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom, some translations, the good tidings. It's the same word that you get the, our word gospel. So they're coming and presenting the gospel, which literally means good tidings are good news. See, as Christians, we've got to remember this. When we've been born again and saved in Christ, that's the best news you could ever hear or imagine. So Jesus is coming and bringing good news. The good news is the Messiah is here, the Savior is here, the kingdom of God is here. That's our responsibility to go out and take that good news and share that with other people. The good news that you can be free from sin, you can be freed from hell, you can experience eternity in heaven. That's good news. That's what Jesus says we're going to do, is go around and preach that good news. Once again, this is why we're here. Don't let the things of life distract you off the gospel. That's what Satan likes to do. He wants to allow the stresses and the concerns and the worries of life to become so heavy and so tough for you that it distracts you off your sole purpose is to see other people get saved and go deeper in their walk with the Lord. Don't allow him to do that. Now before we get into this, we're introduced to three gals here. Mary, Joanna, and Susanna. Now, normally, when we run into names in the Bible, you know I like the names. I like to do a word study of what these names mean and what these represent. i got to be honest, when I was going through this, I went through this a couple of times, and I saw these names, Mary, Joanna, and Susanna, and I didn't really look them up too much because I thought these are pretty straightforward names. We know a lot of people named Mary, Joanna, or Susanna or some variation of that, and I didn't think too much about it. So I finally said, you know what, I should probably look up and see what these names mean. And I tell you, these names are pretty neat. The first name, Mary. i got to be honest with you. Before I looked up the name Mary, I I assumed Mary would have this really deep, amazing meaning. I mean, this is Mary. I assumed it would mean chosen by God or special place by God, something along that line. You know what the name Mary means? It means rebellious or bitter. So think about that for a second. Rebellious or bitter. Now, what has happened Since Mary became Mary a couple thousand years ago, the church has kind of morphed what her name means. But the original meaning of the name Mary is rebellious or bitter. Now, I thought, that's kind of weird. And I thought about it. That's us. I'm rebellious against God. I'm bitter towards the Lord sometimes. And it took a woman by the name of Mary to bring the Savior into the world to bring me out of my rebellion against God, to bring me out of my bitterness of sin. So that name Mary is actually a great name because I was rebellious. I was bitter against God, and then God came through Jesus Christ, through Mary. Now the next name, Joanna, means Jehovah is a gracious giver. Jehovah is a gracious giver. Now this works out perfectly. Mary is rebellion and bitterness. Joanna, a gracious, Jehovah is a gracious giver. So I was in rebellion. Jehovah graciously gave me his son, Savior, Jesus Christ, as my salvation. That's great. Then it took me to the third word. Now, I was already pumped up for this. So I thought, okay, what's going to be the final cap to this? So I got to Susanna, and Susanna's name means lily. I kind of just deflated me a little bit. So I thought, I don't want to be a flower. I mean, that just doesn't sound like a really cool teaching point. You know, you're in rebellion against God, Mary. Jehovah is a gracious giver, Joanna. And then you turn into this beautiful lily. Just kind of seems a little weak to me. I don't really want to flow with that. So I let it go for a little bit, and I thought I'm going to work up the word lily in the Bible and see what lily means. And there's a really neat picture in the book of Hosea where Israel is called a lily because she is prospering and growing in the Lord. And that's, I thought, now I get it. Mary, I'm rebellious against God. I'm bitter in sin. Joanna, Jehovah was a gracious giver that gave me his son, Jesus Christ, down across from my sins. And then Susanna, I become that lily growing and prospering. In the Lord. We rebelled, God gave us salvation, now we prosper in the Lord. I like that. Now, taking that introduction, let's see about the parable of the sower and the seeds. How do we grow in the Lord? Verse 4 When a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it, but others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, the first point we need to make is actually the last words we just read. Verse 8, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is going to explain spiritual growth. He's going to explain people getting saved. Now the question is, do you want to hear it or not hear it? Do you want to put the effort into understanding it? Look at verse 9. Then his disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? And he said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So he comes out and says, listen, you want to know what this means? (coughs) Put some effort into it. Ask questions. Delve into this. Grow. Study. If you have ears, listen. If you want to know what it means, verse 10, it's a mystery, but put some work into it, and you'll see the result of it. See, here's the thing about God. He will never force himself on anybody. Absolutely not. He says, if you want to know more of me, you just ask, and I will give me more of you. You have to put that effort into it. I remember years ago, there was a friend that Dawn and I had that we really wanted to come to know Christ. And I tell you, we prayed for this guy. We pushed this guy. This guy would always seem interested Monday through Friday of wanting to more about God. So I would swing by and offer to pick him up on Sunday mornings. I would call him 930. Hey, I'll swing by and grab you. I'll pick you up and take you to church. Sometimes he didn't answer. Sometimes he did. He didn't know if he wanted to go. So I eventually just started showing up at his house about a quarter till 10. I would just pound on the door. The guy came, and he would come to the door, and he would be groggy, and he would say, man, I don't want to make you late. Go without me. And I said, I don't care. I'll be late. You're coming. So he did all this. He would ask about verses. I'd give him all this information and verses, and I'd follow up with them. Hey, did you read that passage I told you about? No, I haven't got to that. Hey, did you look at that Bible? We went out and bought him a nice Bible. Did you get a chance to read that Bible? No, I didn't get a chance to read it. We went on for this way for months and months. Finally, I realized, guess what? He didn't want it. He didn't want it as much as I wanted him to have it. So one of the hardest things I did is I just totally stepped back. I didn't offer to pick him up for church anymore. I said, listen, you've got a car. You can drive. I didn't follow up with many more Bible verses. I said, here's the verses. If you want to read them, read them. It was very freeing, but it was also very difficult because in faith I had to trust that the Lord and him were working this out where I really felt like I needed to butt in. So what happened is a few months go by. He's over at our house in McClure where Dawn and I lived when we first got married. He's walking out. And this guy was always a little standoffish in some way. So he gets ready to leave. He comes up. He gives me a hug. He says, I'll see you later, Brother James. I said, Brother James? And he goes, yeah, I got saved. You know how I got saved? Him and Jesus decided to figure it out. I just stepped back. And that was really something I realized now is sometimes you just got to step back. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know what? You got that person you really want to come to church? You can invite him. You can offer to pick him up. But you know what? Most people have transportations and an alarm clock. They can get up and come. You want somebody to read the Bible? You could give them that verse and you can ask them five times that day, did you read it? Did you read it? They got ears. They got eyes. They can read. That doesn't mean I totally step back. If someone comes up and says I'm struggling about something, I'll say, hey, do you want to get together? And I'll pull out my little uh, calendar right here, and I'll say, hey, I got this day, this day, what do you want to do? That kind of hem haul a little bit, I'll say, hey, why don't you get a hold of me? Call me. Contact me. That's not because I don't want to meet with them, but I want them Don't want to. Jesus is saying right here in the parable, you want to understand this? You got ears. Listen up. You want to understand this? Verse 10. You can see it. You can hear it. You can put effort into understanding this, and God will honor that. He will. He totally will. So let's talk about these four groups. Pretty straightforward here, verses 5 through 8. First groups, seed fell on the wayside or the path, depending on your translation. It was devoured. It was eight. The next group fell on the rock. As it fell on the rock, it withered because it didn't have any moisture. The third group fell in the thorns. It was choked out. The last one fell in on the good ground, which produced a good crop. Now, I heard a pastor say one time, I've never forgot, he always says, let the Bible be the best commentary of the Bible. So let's see what happens. Verse 11. Now this, excuse me, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. That's simple. The seed is the word of God. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize... It's just presenting the Word of God. What we do out here at Harvest is we teach verse by verse, book by book through the Bible. That's what we do. Now, I'm not picking on any other churches, and I'm not attacking. I don't want to come across that way. But for us, it's verse by verse, book by book, just keep teaching the Word of God. We're going to do, hopefully finish up here, verse uh, 18 of Luke 8. Guess what shock? We're going to pick up in verse 19 next week on Sunday mornings. And once we get down with the book of Luke, we'll pick another book of the Bible, and we'll just keep working through it. Because the seed is the word of God. See, I always think I can win someone to Christ by my amazing, powerful words and testimony. I can win someone to Christ by showing unconditional love to them. I can win someone to Christ by my charisma and by telling them about Jesus. Someone is won to Christ by the word of God being planted in their heart, and the Holy Spirit in them work it out. It's the word of God. God's word does not return void. Got to remember that. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize. Just keep presenting God's word; it will be fruitful. God will take care of it. And to be quite honest, it's very free. I don't have to convince anybody. That God created the world. I don't have to convince anybody that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. I present to them the word of God, which the Bible says in Hebrews, cuts into their heart like a sword. God takes care of the rest. Just keep presenting the truth of God's word. So the first group we have here, verse 12. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. And the devil comes, takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. This is the first group. Some of you may be this group right here, right now. You're hearing the truth of the gospel. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Took you out of hell. It's going to give you eternity in heaven. You hear it. You don't care. Kind of ready to go home. You don't know how much longer I'm going to teach. You're just ready to be done. don't care. I don't know how many times that I've presented the gospel to people, and I don't want to sound like, like I, like egotistically, but you present the gospel to someone, they just don't want it. I've shared with you before when I first got saved, I couldn't believe it when I would present the gospel to somebody and they didn't want it. I didn't know what to do. How could anybody not want the get out of hell card? How can they not want it? Verse 12, there will always be people that hear and choose not to accept. Now before you look at verse 12 and say, well, that's not fair, the devil took that away. No, the devil took that away because their heart was not fertile soil to produce a crop. Their heart was not fertile soil to hear what is being said. And you know what? And this is just true in life. Sometimes you're talking to people and they're making eye contact with you, they are, they're hearing you, but they're not hearing you. And they just don't care. That's a sad one. That's a real sad one. But that's the truth. You present the gospel, some people just don't want to hear it. They may give you a token that's neat. They may give you a token, I'll think about that. Hey, maybe you'll see me on Sunday, some Sunday, sometime. Or yeah, sure. I'll take that track. I'll take that Bible. I'll, I'll, I'll take. I'll take a look at it. No, they just didn't want to hear. And so, since they didn't want to hear, the seed goes off to the wayside and it's eaten and destroyed. What about the next group? Verse thirteen. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root. Who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Boy, these are tough. I hate to say it. We run into a lot of verse thirteen people. They're the ones that show up and they're excited. This is this is amazing. This is exactly what I've been looking for in life. I'm going to be here every Sunday. I'm going to be here every Wednesday. Do you happen to have any extra Bibles for me? And plus, I'm going to give one out to everybody I know. Is there a place where I can serve? you only have church Wednesday and Sunday? Can we have another service? They're excited. And this excitement lasts for three weeks, four weeks, a few months. And then they disappear. And then what happens is you try to get a hold of them. You can't get a hold of them. So you try and you finally get a hold of them. You're like, hey... Baby, have been missing you. What's been going on? Oh, what happened? Life got tough. See, what happened in verse 13, a time of temptation came. That word temptation also means a time of testing came. So when the test came, it fell back. Well, what's been going on? I've been missing you. Man, life's been tough. Work's been really tough. I, I had this situation happen at home. Uh, this happened with my loved one. It, it's just a really tough time. Well, hey, well, why don't you come back into church where you can have that encouragement, that support? We're there for you. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'll see you sometime. I've been doing this long enough to know, yeah, maybe I'll see you sometime, as I'm ready for the conversation to be over. I get that, and I'm not dumb. problem is, in verse 13, there's no root. The first to sprout up, the first to wither away. I've shared with you many times before, when we planted our yard over our house, that we had two acres there, and when the grass got planted, the first grass to grow was the grass that landed in the driveway. It sprang up greener, lusher, quicker than any other grass. It was also the first grass to die. See, and what happens here in verse 13, there are ones that are here, that are excited. This is the greatest ministry I've ever heard of. This is exactly what I've been looking for. And then they just disappear. There is no root. See, now it's said back up in verse 6, they withered away because of lack of moisture. It's really interesting. Guess what they call God's Word in the Bible? The washing of the water by the Word. God's Word is called water. Guess what Jesus said? Jesus said, I'm the water of life. If you want to see somebody grow and not wither, Stay in God's word and stay close to Jesus. Those two things keep you from withering. When you get out of God's word and when you get away from your relationship with Christ, you wither. You wither spiritually. Your marriage withers. Your relationships withers. Your witness withers. Your ministry withers. Everything just starts to die off because you're away from God's word and you're away from Jesus. And they fall away because of time of testing. I tried the God thing. It didn't work. I prayed and I didn't get any answers. The testing revealed their heart wasn't where it was supposed to be. Remember years ago, there was a gal coming and she always had these tough times pop up, and she was the proverbial three steps forward, two steps back. And I remember she was making progress. We had, we had a season of life where things were good, and then something popped up. And I remember the situation popped up, and I thought, this thing's going to crush her. I remember praying distinctly, Lord, no. I remember the Lord revealing to me and the Lord saying through this verse, This time of testing reveals her heart. It's really easy to say to God be the glory when everything is working out perfectly. But when your life takes a really difficult turn, do you have a root in Christ that keeps you from being withered? We don't want to be, verse 13, the roller coaster of excited, then I don't care. Excited, then I don't care. We need to be rooted in Christ. What about the next ones, verse 14? Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life. Bring no fruit to maturity. These are the ones where it's not that they wither up and go. Well, they're just they're just too busy, too, too busy to really put God first. You no, know, right now is just a really busy time at work. You know, when things settle down at work, I'll really be able to go deeper in my relationship with Christ. Things are really busy right now with kids. And when this season of life with kids is over, I will really be able to go deeper in my walk in relationship with Christ. It's just really busy right now. Man, life's busy. I get that. Some people have jobs where they have to work Sundays during church. I completely get that. But the truth of the matter is we use that as an excuse sometimes of busyness, of life and kids and work. And really what it comes down to in verse 14, there is no fruit. There's none. All their energy is put into life rather than the one who gave them life. And so they just put all their energy into this project and that thing going on. And next thing they know, they look around spiritually and there's just nothing. They've been choked out by life. got to remember, Jesus made it very clear to us in John 15. He says, I have... Pointed you I have chosen you to go bear fruit he says that twice in John 15 verse 8 and verse 16 the reason he chose us is to go bear fruit so if you look here at verse 14 when they bring forth no fruit what's their purpose they're allowing life to control them since they're allowing life to control them there's no spiritual progress in any way and I tell you I think they're in some ways they're sincere I think their heart sincerely wants things to be different. And I think they sincerely believe when they're done with this season of life, things will slow down and I can really focus on God. They don't realize that there's always going to be something in your season of life to distract you off God, always. What about the last group, verse 15? But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Now, it says in the book of Matthew that these return 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. These are the ones that get it. And as they get it, they produce These are the ones we want to be in verse 15 as we hear it We understand it and then we want to impact others for Christ now This is a good group to be in the problem is the 30 fold 60 fold hundred fold return See I've run into some that have a 30 fold return. They're really happy. Hey, I'm in. I'm out of hell I get to go to heaven. Uh, My life's better than what it was Everything's better than what it was and I'm really content with this 30-fold return. I'm just going to stay right here. of the biggest dangers in Christianity is what we call plateau Christianity. You reach a plateau, you just stay there. See, the thing is, you don't want to be content with 30. You want to try to be a 60-fold return. And then when you're at 60, you want to be a 100-fold return. You want to keep going deeper and growing in your relationship with Christ. The problem is that takes effort. And I'm really just content at 30. I'm not yelling and screaming and cussing like I used to. I'm not going out on Friday nights like I used to. I'm not doing a lot of stuff I used to. Oh, yeah, there's some improvement. But you know what? I'm better than him. And see, and that's the thing is, we do comparison Christianity. Well, I read a lot more than him. I know I do. I don't struggle with the same stuff that she does, so I must be okay. No, 30, 60, 100. See, we're in this for the long haul. Look at verse 15, the last word there. With a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Some of your translations persevering or endurance this as has been said many times in many ways the Christian walk is a marathon not a sprint we're in this for the long haul so as we're in this for the long haul that's what I'm looking forward to in the end I'm looking at what God's going to do in the next 10 20 30 40 years the long haul not the short one but that being said I need to have patience I don't know how many times people have come up to me and said this or I've even said it to myself I've prayed for that person for a week and they still don't know Jesus. Okay, well, maybe you need to pray for him for a month, a year, a decade. I don't know. Because we're in this for the long haul. I want to bear fruit with patience. It's a marathon. You know, I've been walking with the Lord and, and I still don't know the Bible like I should. I'm still not serving like I should. The ministry is not as big as I thought it would be. Things aren't growing like I thought they would. You're in it for the long haul. We live in a farming community. You plant your beans and your corn in the spring, you harvest them in the fall. If you plant your beans and corn in the spring and you try to go out in June to harvest them, it doesn't work. You can't force things to grow quicker. You can't. You're going to grow at a pace the Lord has in store for you and you will grow in a marathon. You're in the long haul. The people that you're praying for to get closer to the Lord and know Christ deeper, it may not be as quick as what you want. You're in it for the long haul. So what I'm doing is I'm planting seeds, I'm encouraging people, I'm watering people. I want them to go deeper in the Lord, but I don't know when it's going to be. But you know what? As long as it happens, and maybe in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, I'm in it for the long haul. It's the marathon. What happens when you try to go at your own pace and you try to sprint it out? You die out. You know, I like to go out and run. And there's a race that uh, Pastor Renee and I like to do. We've done it for the last couple of years. It's a uh, four-mile turkey trot that happens over in Confiance. Um, so the last couple years we've done this. Now, last year... Him and I went out and we ran it. The first year, we ran it together at the same pace. And then last year, he was at a different pace than me. You know, I I shouldn't use the word. I'm not a runner. I'm more like a jogger. You know, that's probably more me. Tweets, Rene is is the runner. You know, he's the one that's got the, the fancy little watch that tells him his pace. At one time, I think he put a chip in his shoe and he could know what was going on and all this other type of stuff. So last year at this race, we take off and we started off together. And we lost each other. There's a lot of people running. So we're getting close to the one-mile mark, and I'm just chugging along. I'm just having a fun time. Renee comes up from behind me. Now, Renee is a lot faster than me. There's no doubt about that. He runs the half marathons. He, he's, he's a much better runner. So he comes up from behind me, and I'm in front of him. And he goes, hey, what are you doing? I said, what are you doing? I mean, why, why am I ahead of you? He goes, do you know what pace you're at? I said, I have absolutely no idea. He goes, well, he told me my pace. And I, and I realized at that pace, I was going to burn out. I'd be probably literally physically dead by two miles. And so I said, i got to slow down, man. And I just put the brakes on, and he just went right past me. I'm in it for the long haul, four miles. Just get it done and complete it. What happens in Christianity is we get frustrated because we go at that sprint pace. When I first got saved, I've been saved now for 19 years. If you would go back in time and ask me nearly 20 years ago, what would you be like in 20 years? Oh, in 20 years? I probably would have wrote uh, James 2, 67th book of the Bible. Uh, All of of Henry County would be saved. I'd be working on Wood County and Putnam now because that's what's going to happen. I mean, it's just that's what we're going to do. And now what happens is, wait a second. I don't know how much longer the Lord has. I may be on this world for five more minutes. I may be on this world for 15 more years. I'm just going to run. Just as as, as Paul said, I'm just going to run, and I'm just going to run with patience and endurance. And you know what? Whatever God has in store, he has in store. If you're the type of person that's a type A personality, we got to get it done, and we got to get it done now, and you're going to burn yourself out because you don't know what God has in store. You don't know God's time frame. I used to run cross country when I was back in high school. And I can remember back in cross-country that uh, I'd be talking to like, either my dad or my grandpa, and I remember both of them saying something the fact of, hey, the fastest runner on the team, why not just run with the fastest runner and just keep up with him? You know, just whatever speed he's going, just stay with him. That doesn't work. You know, I mean, I know it sounds good, but it just it just doesn't work. I'm in it for the long haul. Same thing spiritually. You can try to burn yourself out because you're going to see this person get saved. Your ministry is going to grow. It always bugs me when I run into a pastor that sets a goal. And I've heard numerous pastors say this. We're going to have 100 people in one year. I don't know what you're going to have. Someone told me one time the word sheep is both plural and singular at the same time. Just love the sheep. Well, you know what? In five years, we're going to have this. Well, maybe you will. Maybe God's got something even bigger. Why limit him? Or maybe he says, I just want you to love what you got right now. I don't know. I'm in it for the long haul. Whatever God brings, God brings. We love, we take care of, and we just shepherd the flock. Because we want to go here in verse 15 with patience and endurance. And that word patience and endurance, it's used many times throughout the Bible. And when it's used throughout the Bible, it's also used a lot salvation. That you're supposed to, One the one verse says, possess your souls with patience. This idea of this is an eternal thing we're working on. That your salvation is supposed to be done in patience because you're on it for the long haul. See, the problem is and you can look at this verse later if you want. It's in First John chapter 2 verse 19. It says they were with us, but they did not stay with us because they were not of us. Time showed their hearts weren't right with Christ. See, you have to look at what group you're in. I hope you're not in the verse 12 group of you're hearing, not believing, and you just don't care. I hope you're not in the verse 13 or 14 group. Oh, this is great, this is amazing, this is exciting, and then you're going to burn out in a month. I hope you're not in the verse 14 group. Well, if life is really busy, once we get through life, we'll really be able to focus on God. Boy, today is the day of salvation. See, verses 13 and 14, John is telling us time reveals their heart is not as devoted to God as they think they are. We want to be in the verse 15 group, producing fruit, hearing it, keeping it, not just 30, not just 60, but 100. Don't ever get caught in comfortable Christianity. Always go deeper in the Lord. Let's just finish this up. We've got three verses here to finish up, and each one of them is just a review point. Look at verse 16. No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand, that those who enter may see the light. There's that phrase, see the light. See, it says in Matthew 5 that you are the light of the world. And so verse 16 goes back with uh, verse 1. The good tidings, the preaching, the gospel. If you are born again and saved, you know what Jesus did for you. Your sole purpose in His life is to tell as many people as you can about what Jesus did. For you. That's that's why we're here, is to pass along the gospel, the good tidings. The Bible says that you are a light, a light that shines in darkness. You may work at a place where it's complete utter darkness. You are the only believer. Then let your light shine strong you at school may be the only believer in that class let your light shine strong see when there's only one light in a dark room and you can't miss it you can't miss it the boys have reached the point now where we like to go downstairs in the evening in the basement we like to have a fight that's just what we do there's blood every day at the urban house so we go downstairs and the thing is now Layden, who's our youngest will be three here in about a month has reached the point now where we can <laughs> shut the lights off and everybody gets a flashlight. Everybody gets a light. And so what happens is everybody's got this light, and we all arm up. If you go downstairs in our basement, it looks like an armory. We, we have all these Nerf guns and swords and everything like that. Everybody gets their weapons, and we all load up. And we count down, shut the lights off, and everybody turns on their flashlights to fight. So there is one, two, three, four, five of us down there fighting. Everybody turns their flashlight on except for one person. Who, guess who doesn't turn their flashlight on? Me. Because if I turn my flashlight on, guess what? They know where I'm at. So, I sit back, look for where the lights are, and I just shoot them in the head. That's all I do. And you think I'm teasing, and I'm not. They shine their light. I know exactly where they are. I shoot at the light. It's not very difficult. We get done with the fight, and the boys always go, How come you always win? And I don't tell them. Spiritually speaking, when there's a dark room and you see the light, you are going to go to the light. That's what you do. You are light, and so therefore you attract like moths. People bang into you because they want to know what you have that they don't have. You are light. Get out there and shine for the Lord. Next one, verse 17. Nothing in secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Now that's one of those scary verses. It's only scary if you have things you need to hide. See, what it's saying there in verse 17 is these people that fall into the uh, oh, 12, 13, 14 category, verses 12, 13, 14, God says, I know their heart. See, I don't know their heart. I look at them and I think, well, they're they're really excited. Sometimes I run into somebody and I meet them for the first time and the only thing they want to talk about is Jesus and God and the Bible and everything they do. And I walk away like a dog with my tail between its legs thinking, man, I got something I don't. But you know what? And I'm not being judgmental Do not take it that way at all. They're in a sprint, and they die out. And I'm just chugging along, you know, on the marathon. Because what happens is the heart is revealed. I am in this thing for the long haul. And I'm just going to stay faithful and true and just keep planting seeds and witnessing and praying and teaching and preaching. Just keep moving forward. God says, I know people's hearts, and it will be revealed where they stand with me. Verse 18, Therefore take heed how you hear, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. See, what happens is we think everything's working out good, and God says it's not. God's constantly moving ministry around. Because what happens here in verse 18, this is not talking about possessions, this is talking about spiritual responsibility. See, when you are faithful in the Lord, and you're faithful in the long haul, God says to you more, will be given. When you show your faithfulness, God says, I will expand that sphere of influence you have. I will expand that ministry. I will expand your spiritual responsibilities. Now, he doesn't do it to pat us on the back and say, boy, James, you're really doing good here. Have more people. No, it's because your heart is ready to be prepared to minister to who God gives you. If you go in with the mindset of ministry of I'm going to get this many people, or I'm going to go into work and I'm going to save five people this year, Don't go in with any type of mindset. Go in with whatever God has in store for you. Because what happens if you say, I am. I work with hundreds of people. I'm going to see five people get saved this year. April comes around. Your fifth person gets saved. Oh, boy, I can take eight months off. No. What happens if God wants to save 50 people? What happens if God just wants to save one person? And what happens if that one person only saves one person, and then only saves one person, but then generations down the road, that one person then becomes the next Billy Graham? Just be faithful in what God has called you to do and run the race with endurance, with patience, looking towards the end, not the sprint. God will be faithful, and he will honor that, and that's what we need to do as well, too. I tell you, the parable of the sower and the seed, it all. It really has it all. Whatever state you're at spiritually, you fall into one of those four categories. And if you're born again and saved, you fall into that last category. Now you have to decide, am I 30 60 or 100. I used to run into people that are born again and saved, no doubt about it, and they were really content at that 30-fold return. And you try to encourage them to go deeper, be the better husband, be the better wife, be the better witness, whatever. They don't want to, but you can't make them. I hope your desire is to want everything that God has in store. To be a light and a witness, impacting as many people as you can through the power of the Holy Spirit and all that you do say, that is the goal. If the youth want to come forward here for the final song, just some reminders. Car care coming up on Saturday. Um, Even if there's not a slot available, you can find a slot there. boxes back there to the left. We said today's the last day to bring them in. I've already had people come up and ask, is it really the last day? And a little secret is we always lie to you. Really the last day is Wednesday, but we just told you Sunday, so that way you would bring them in. Now I'm not lying. We really need them by Wednesday. Okay, that one's truth. We really need them in. Um, Rich, did you get a chance to pray over the shoeboxes today? Not yet. Not yet. Are you going to do that after church? Is that the goal? Okay. If you're interested in that, Pastor Rich is going to go back there at the back, and we're just going to pray over the shoeboxes for those boys and girls that are going to receive them. Not only receive them as the materialistic gift, but also receive